Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel according to John, chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. Listen for what the Spirit is saying to the church today. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be faithful in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Several years ago, when I was living in New York City right after seminary, searching for that first call, I was sitting at a diner on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. It was the one right across the street from the gym, for me, serving as a place to grab a quick bite of fuel before hitting the elliptical machine. Diners are some of my favorite places in New York City. Because while they are, of course, open to anyone who happens to be passing through, they tend to be microcosms of the neighborhood in which they reside. Fewer tourists, more 25-year-old women just trying to make it, and families sitting down for a few minutes together as they juggle careers and soccer practice and ballet. And my favorite, lots of men in their 80s that sit for hours drinking coffee, thanking God for rent-controlled apartments, unpacking the cover of the New York Times, and bemoaning how unlivable the city has become for ordinary people. On this particular day, I was sitting at the counter, probably inhaling a turkey sandwich, my mind already on the next thing, when an interaction a couple of seats down caught my attention. 
I hadn't noticed him until then, but there was a man, clearly houseless, who had just been handed a standard breakfast plate from behind the counter. Eggs, sausage, toast, hash browns. He didn't say anything, but his eyes bespoke gratitude. And then, in a moment and in a language imperceivable to me, the waiter behind the counter must have picked up on something, some wave of disappointment. And he asked him, is there a different way that you prefer to have your eggs? The receiver of the meal kind of waved him off, but the waiter persisted. It's really rather easy for us to redo them. It'll only take a moment. Over easy, sunny side up, poached. The guy didn't seem to understand these terms, and he didn't talk much, so this went on for a bit as the waiter described what each label meant. Kinda runny, really runny, not runny at all. And together, they came to the answer, and the waiter took the scrambled egg plate away to the kitchen, and minutes later, he emerged with a new one with eggs that were sunny side up. And a smile spread across the receiver's face in recognition. This was a diner that was known for its hospitality. It frequently let houseless guests inside to use the bathrooms. It let them linger as they sipped on house coffee the guy a couple seats down from me who had just received his eggs may have been sitting there for an hour already, resting his tired feet. But this exchange was new to me. I couldn't recall ever seeing one like it before, at this diner or at any restaurant anywhere. It really was an easy thing to do, as the waiter insisted. It wasn't like a ribeye steak was being sent back. And it may have been an easy fix, but the moment was more about what it communicated. You matter as an individual, as someone who has preferences, as someone whose mouth waters when certain foods are presented and whose throat gags when others are presented, no matter how hungry you are. And we want to get this right for you. Responding to these seemingly trivial things carries real import for all of us because ultimately what we are communicating is belonging. It's the act of seeing and being seen. My husband knows that I don't really like yellow flowers, so if he's going to get me a bouquet of flowers, he's going to make sure there aren't any yellow ones in there. My grandmother knows that my favorite meal of hers is lasagna, 
There are certain friends of mine that know I like my eggs over easy. If I'm late to brunch, they can order for me. The diner on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, across the street from the gym, was a world within a world. Even more so for me once I observed this exchange. It was a respite, a place of compassion, a place where names were known and preferences too. How do you like your eggs? Translation, you are of value. It was a world where individuals mattered and being part of the collective meant not objecting to that. Today, as we continue in our Easter tide season, we turn away from the post-resurrection stories and towards a sermonette that Jesus gave earlier in his ministry. Placed where it is in our lectionary, it functions the same way those post-resurrection stories function. Listen up. This is the summary. This is what it's all about. And key to understanding what this text is about is understanding the community from which it was generated and the community to which it originally spoke. Even a cursory reading of John's gospel reveals how different it is from the other gospel accounts, Mark, Matthew, and Luke. John's gospel was the last to be written, decades after the others, and it speaks from and to a community that is more firmly established. Bruce Molina and Richard Rohrbaugh wrote a social science commentary on the gospel according to John back in 1998, and it sheds much light on the reality of what they call fringe communities living in the ancient world. Their findings help us dig deeper into the reality of this early Christian community's way of life and their mission, how they understood themselves and their calling. Quoting linguist Michael Halliday, they label the Johannine community as an anti-society. This is a society that is set up within another society as a conscious alternative to it. As such, the Johannine community and the gospel that emerged from it and spoke to it points to a people that are actively being re-socialized. And the language that they use, what they call an anti-language, is their mode of resistance. An anti-language arises among people in groups that are espousing and are held by an alternative perception of reality. Reality as experienced and set up in opposition 
to some established mode of conception and perception. In the gospel, according to John, those opponents are rather clear. They are most notably the Judeans and this world. The Johannine community is actively setting itself up as a society set up within another society as a conscious alternative to it. That is why the language in John's gospel is so rich, so evocative. The Christian community has, as a society within a society, taken firmer root. They've discerned more. They've prayed more. They've received more. They've developed their own language. All of the Jesus I am statements function as such. I am the light. I am the truth. I am the vine. I am the good shepherd. Like all anti-language, some of this language has no equivalent meaning at all in the standard language of the broader society. Sentences like, the Father and I are one. And some of the language borrows from the broader society, but reappropriates it. In the ancient Near East, shepherding as a metaphor for leadership and even for God was common. Our beloved Psalm 23 describes the Lord as shepherd. But critically, in this exchange, Jesus calls himself the shepherd, the one who owns and is responsible for the sheep. Melina and Rohrbaugh note that many commentators have also seen this passage as a further step in the critique of Judean leadership. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and runs away, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. This imagery of attack from outsiders is common among socially estranged groups grappling with maintaining their boundaries intact over against incursions by the surrounding society. I am the good shepherd, says Jesus. Not them, nor anyone or anything else in this world. You hear my voice. Now follow me. The Johannine community has been and is in the process of being re-socialized. This Jesus, the one who walked the earth and ministered among the people, yes. Who was crucified on a Roman cross, yes. Who was resurrected from the dead, yes. Is the one around whom their lives will now pivot. To put their trust in such a narrative is an alternative perception of reality. 
and the one that they find themselves held captive by. Perhaps, for the ones who really get it, a mix of gratitude and grief. Next Saturday, 15 of our 8th graders will gather for a confirmation retreat where they will unpack all that they've learned over the past 15 weeks. They'll put pen to paper, and they'll craft their statements of faith to be shared with our diaconate and our session the next day. Those who choose to do so will be confirmed on Sunday, May 16th, right here in this sanctuary during our service of worship. It is not lost on me or on Janine, our new youth ministry director, or on their wonderful teachers, what we are asking them to do. The video curriculum that guided them this year set it within the very first few minutes, making it plain. There are certain things that we, your elders, believe about God and about what God has done in Jesus Christ and how we live our lives in light of that reality. And we admittedly want you to be part of this group, too, this way of being in the world. Put in social science language, we're asking our confirmands to be held by an alternative perception of reality. Put in theological language, we're asking them to listen closely for the voice of the good shepherd and then to respond. Of course, like us, part of their responsibility will be to determine how this highly contextualized book called the Bible speaks to this day and this age. What about this world do we set ourselves in opposition to by virtue of following Jesus? What reality are we rejecting in order to fully embrace another? If answers to those questions are difficult to come by, a good place to begin is to imagine what preys on us these days. Who is that wolf that is constantly on the prowl trying to snatch us and scatter us from each other? If Jesus were to stand in the middle of this sanctuary today, What seductive voices would he tell us to beware of? Would it be the voice of the market with its ideology that reduces all to commodity and the best that we can do to the bottom line? Would it be the voice of redemptive violence with its inability to even imagine a way forward that does not require more bloodshed? Would it be the voices of cynicism and despair or nothingness with their insistence that the pain of the world is all that there is, no meaning, no hope? And the voice of the good shepherd calls us again and again and again. Come along. Come this way instead.
it's significant that this is no impersonal mandate. The way to which we are beckoned has its origins in belonging. Shepherding was and still is about knowing the sheep, really knowing them, their sex, their fertility, their age, their birth month, their color, their diseases. But this knowing is all about determining quality, thus determining value, monetary value, to be precise. Jesus, as the good shepherd, has a different kind of knowing in mind. Reflecting the knowing that exists between himself and God the Father, a knowing that breeds intimacy and courage and alignment of wills that saves the world, Jesus knows his sheep and calls them to know one another with the same life-creating intensity. And it's all based in belonging, and a belonging that looks ever and ever outward. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold, Jesus said. I must bring them in also. When I recall that afternoon in the diner on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, the respite in the midst of the concrete jungle, some would say the center of the world, where there's money to be made and abs to be sculpted and time to be manipulated for all we can get out of it. When I recall that afternoon, there was a five-minute exchange of a different language in a place that embraced a slightly slower pace between individuals that both answered to a voice that you would have had to strain to hear in the midst of all the others. For one, it was an embrace of vulnerability, allowing himself to be seen. Yeah, I do actually like my eggs in a particular way. Thank you for asking. And for the other, an embrace of someone's value, irrespective of his ability to pay. It's a diner that surely lost customers. Finding yourself captive to an alternative way of being in the world doesn't come without sacrifice. Straining to hear the voice of the good shepherd amidst all the others and then following isn't the easiest way. But like the good shepherd, what we lay down, we take up again. And it is life in all of its abundance. Thanks be to God. Amen.